0: Hey listeners, there's a new podcast in town. It's called Boozy Blatherings. I know you're gonna love it. It's a drunken vocabulary lesson. Learning while drinking, what could be better than that? It's hosted by the very entertaining Megan Mitlow. Look for it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a taste of it now.
1: Hi, I'm Megan. I know about four words and three of them are curses. Welcome to my new podcast, Boozy Blatherings.
0: It's the perfect combination of drunk history and Merriam-Webster's word of the day. I'll be your host at this cocktail party where every week we'll have a new guest, we'll learn a new word, and we're
1: going to have a lot of cocktails. So pour yourself a drink and get cozy because we're going to have fun. In a second, even though I'm so nervous my voice is shaking, we're going to get the surprise words. James and I both have a copy of the word. We haven't seen it yet, but we're going to try to pronunciate it for you and we're going to try to guess what it means. Be ready. Okay, go. Okay, I see it. It's B E L
2: L
0: I C O S E.
2: You know, I want to. I like my knee-jerk reaction when I look at this. I know that it is not the right way to pronounce it. I am full-blown crying at this moment. <laughs> I, I want to say it's Belle, right?
1: Let's say the. What? Let's break it down.
2: Well, I want to. I I, I want to say. I'm going to just, you know what? I'll be the sacrificial lamb. Thank you. Bellicose?
0: Yeah, I was thinking, but I was like, it can be belly. Is it like, Is it like bellicose? Like, be-
2: Is it like varicose veins, but on your stomach?
0: <laughs> Shut the mic up. Oh my God.
2: <laughs> hey listeners, there's a new cocktail book on the market. Fan Favorites, A Cocktail Memoir, Volume 1. It's filled with original local cocktails that were voted as fan favorites on the Columbus Craft Cocktail Tour. You can get a copy of your own by going to columbuscraftcocktailtour.com slash store. All proceeds go to the talented bartenders and mixologists whose cocktails are featured in the book. columbuscraftcocktailtour.com slash store. Hey, what's up, If This Bar Could Talk listeners? I'm producer Greg Hansberry, and I had to uh, uh, chime in here with a bulletin because since we recorded this podcast, Blair and Leanne have actually sold out of their fan favorite cocktail book. So uh, unfortunately, you're not able to get a copy of it right now, but the good news is, not only uh, were we able to donate some money to um, the Central Ohio hospitality industry, but they're already working on volume two. So keep your eyes peeled for that
1: down the road. Cheers.
2: Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. Our guest this evening has a cocktail featured on page 28, Tommy Householder. Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk.
1: How's it going? Great. Yeah. Glad to have you here. Yeah, finally. 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 We've talked about it for a long time, so happy to finally get on here with you guys and chat cocktails.
0: Did you know you were in the book?
1: Uh, I remember we had talked about it and it was coming up, but I wasn't—I did not know it was coming up. So what are you working on now? So a handful of things. I've been on and off unemployment, just like majority of the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's been kind of interesting. Uh, when Watershed uh, shut down, they brought a handful of us back on to do sanitizer. So we were able to pivot as a distillery and a company to start doing sanitizer for you know, first responders and things like that. And then finally got up to the general public. So did that for a few months, and then we all got laid back off once we filled all the sanitizer up. Mm. I picked up some side gigs. I was doing some backyard weddings, and I did some things out in Albany Country Club that I was doing like just private bartending. Uh, My family is part of the Moretti family, and they own a sign restaurant over in Upper Arlington. So helping them out here and there, helped redesign their wine and cocktail program a little bit, filling in when they needed some help uh, and things like that, and just kind of gearing up for hopefully come springtime, maybe uh, we'll get the doors open at Watershed. Is there any kind of uh, date in mind yet, or still nothing? Still, okay. everything is very preliminary. Um, I can't even like give you a guesstimate. My, if I had to be as close as I could, I would assume April. Um, maybe by March or April, we're in there cleaning and then we're gearing up for that. We had some other expansions that we're doing. We're expanding our main dining room a little bit in the back room, so that's taken some some time away from you know obviously opening up. Um, so who knows? I'm hoping, hoping hoping by April, but we'll see. Awesome, yeah.
0: So Watershed, you're obviously known for your great spirits. Mm -hmm. You're also known for your wonderful restaurant, the food. The chef is amazing. Oh, yeah. But your cocktail program is uh, talked about everywhere. Whenever anybody goes to Watershed bar, they're like, holy shit, did you see this? And I think the biggest thing is the menu, not, not the just the content of the menu, like the the recipes, but the actual menu itself. So Mm -hmm. tell me about how that came to be.
1: So that uh, started when Watershed first opened up with uh, Alex Chen, who a lot of us know in the industry, uh, you know, has, has worked in some really awesome bars around town and then ended up working for Bombay Sapphire. And, you know, he's doing his thing. So it started with him and the bar team. Uh, Josh Gandy, who's our beverage director now, was also with that startup team. And the idea was that every time they change a menu up to kind of not necessarily go with the seasons, but have a different theme. And within that theme, you can have some different seasons and stuff. But we wanted it to be a full-on experience. The idea of coming to Watershed is the immersiveness. You can take a tour. You know, you can have a great uh, dinner. You see into the still. So we want these eye-catching things that kind of correspond. And we wanted a menu to reflect that, basically. So luckily, it's a, it's a team atmosphere that I love working in because it's very collaborative. You know, Josh, who's our beverage director, he will come up with the theme or idea, but with some insight from us and then we have you know bi-weekly meetings or monthly meetings to kind of just dis- determine how that goes and it's it can take anywhere from you know a three month prep time to up to six to a year prep time because we're always thinking about the new menu um hmm. unfortunately the new theme and menu was ready to go right before the pandemic and so we're sitting on about 20 or 30 cocktails that mm. have not been released to the public that i think we were all really really excited about and well if you do open in march or april it'll be the right time of year exactly yeah i mean it's gonna be kind of a year to the date so hopefully that kind of times up perfectly and we can kind of just go about that but uh yeah it was unfortunate you know we worked a really hard time like a long time and a hard time on these cocktails to see them not be able to be used was kind of like a gut punch a little bit and it's like like, how we spent all this time luckily we didn't buy a lot of the ingredients we weren't out the money but we were out the the manpower and the hours that we would put into it, the labor of love, I guess. Sure. Right. So.
0: So tell us about. I know the IKEA one. Tell mm-hmm. us. Tell us about that. Tell our listeners if they're, they're not yeah, familiar. Yeah. So
1: the IKEA one was cool, and this was one that unfortunately I wasn't part of. However, when I would go to Watershed free, like frequently before I worked there, I was obsessed with this menu. So the idea is the whole thing looks like an IKEA manual. So if you buy something, whether it's furniture or whatever from IKEA. The idea is that, you, that that black and white step-by-step kind of very rudimentary look of the thing is how the menu looked. And it was the idea of building your cocktail the way you would build a dresser, basically, mm-hmm. with Ikea or something like that. So, again, kind of eye-catching. It's a source that everybody's relatively familiar with. Yeah. You can think back to it. So even if you're not a big cocktail drinker or whatever, just the menu alone, you're going to have that sense memory with. Right. And it's going to have some form of attachment to you. And that's something we always talk about as a team is sense memory. You know, what is something that takes you back to a moment or a time or smell or a place? And we try to do that with every menu that we do. And that definitely kind of hit the nail
0: on the head. That's interesting. Yeah. So then there was the Ikea. And then what came after that?
1: Uh, The Ikea. And then I believe it was the survival guide.
0: That sounds right. Yeah. I think it
1: was the survival guide. And then after that was the fashion menu. And then we just did the... um, Oh, what was the one? Fashion menu. And then I think it was... Oh, man. There's so many. I can't even keep up. It's the travel one, I believe. Travel. Yes. is the most recent one. When we
2: were there, the cocktail that you
1: came up with was was from the travel menu. Yeah. So, when I joined up there, the survival menu was in effect already. I joined in October 2018. The survival menu was already there. Probably my favorite um, material and look. I thought it was the most... The sturdiest. I think it was one of the most beautiful ones that we did illustration-wise. Uh, so it was. I was happy to be able to at least sling some of those drinks and get them out during that time. The next menu was almost done by the time I got there. Uh, we had some insight from uh, David Yee, who's over at Oddfellas. He contributed on that a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the following couple menus were the ones that I got to actually contribute on, which was awesome. And I really like the direction of how we were headed. So it'd be nice to get this new one out, whatever that
0: is. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So how do you – where do you get your inspiration for cocktails?
1: You know, it's funny you asked that because literally as I was walking my dog today, I was thinking about that. And I kind of compared it to like the way that a band would create a music or create a song. And sometimes they'll get inspiration by a, a small riff. It's just a, maybe – that riff could be the – in bartender terms, it's the – cool ingredient that maybe we came across or some kind of spirit so it depends i sometimes will also come up with cocktails based on names i like Mm -hmm. i really like this name and i want to make a cocktail around that name so sometimes depending on where i'm at and i would i will i'll break it down by either a cool ingredient that i came in contact with or a flavor i've never tasted before lately i've been all about salt Uh, i love savoriness in Mm -hmm. different kind of cocktails not that you're getting a salt bomb or a rim of salt but the cocktail itself gives you almost like an umami kind of like salty flavor so that's kind of how we do Now with watershed, it's a little bit different. If it's, uh, I'm trying to think of kind of an example with the uh, travel menu. Oh, actually we skipped one. Uh, it was the nostalgia menu, the yard sale. Oh. That okay. was before the, the current one. So that one was really cool. And that one was really difficult actually to work on because the idea was Josh said, okay, Midwest nostalgia. We all grew up in the Midwest or majority of us grew up in the Midwest. What does that mean? What do the people have? tied back to that. So I had to come up with very specific cocktails, very specific flavors that hit those marks. So that was a little bit more difficult. The next menu that we were working on up before the pandemic, Josh has come up with the theme or the idea. And he just said, run wild with everyone to work with. But our one main goal for this next menu was to coordinate with the kitchen a lot heavier than we had in the past. So kind of a little insight, I was working on a mushroom tincture because we had a bunch of dried uh, mushrooms. And I thought that'd be really cool to figure out how to do a mushroom in a cocktail. So that one was trying to get more collaborative also to cut back on waste. So that's kind of how we go as a team. Either you can go really heavy on the theme or we try to tie other aspects within our company and our business.
2: That's so. always fun.
1: Yeah, 100%. But you like to get the kitchen involved mm-hmm. and it uh, makes ordering a lot easier, makes your costs go down uh, tremendously and also gives the kitchen a little bit of pride within a, within that. And we do the same thing, you know. We use a lot of our alcohol in the, in the cooking, you know, whether it's the nocino and mm-hmm. you know, our little truffles and, and our uh, you know apple brandy or bourbon kind of base things and stuff like and that. And then you have a cocktail already
2: suggested mm-hmm. for a food pairing. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. If you want to kind of go that way, like we were working on carrots in different ways. A lot of times, people will pulverize carrots or do a shrub, and we were trying to do they, we do a sous vide cook on our carrots. So there's this awesome carrot juice that's left over. So the kitchen was giving it to us to experiment with. So it's these really cool collaborative pieces that that I think I've gotten here more than anywhere else I've ever worked. Very cool. Yeah.
0: One of the most pleasant experiences we've had cocktail and culinary-wise is the paired dinner at Watershed. Mm. It was so amazing and so much fun. Are you talking about
1: the whiskey, the The, single barrel? The single single barrel Yeah, the pick. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, But having the dinner... Uh, I forget how many, five course maybe. Four or five. Paired with cocktails and it was just so well done, so delicious. And then to be able to pick a barrel after that was the best.
1: Yeah. And I hope that we continue to do those things. I think anytime you can give uh, people, um, again, that sense memory, like now this is attached to you. I mean, whether that food was good or not, You guys had a really cool experience otherwise, which is going to make that food taste better. It's going to make the experience taste better. So I hope that we can do those things more often. That was really cool. And that was a really big thing for me because that was my first time kind of running a bar related thing. Kind of solo other than the other bartenders with Josh, who's our beverage director, I think was out of town. Um, I had just been given this barley position, so I was a little nervous, definitely to kind of, uh, go through with it, but had a great team, uh, Matina and, uh, Anthony and all of our front of the house staff, uh, killed it. Jack obviously and his kitchen team did an amazing job. So it was cool. And I got to work with Jack a little bit more, uh, which I hadn't really done like one-on-one as much. So that was cool. That was really fun. And I, I think we'll do it again. I, I would love it. to come yeah. again. I would do definitely. it again.
0: Yeah. It was so much fun. And
2: yeah. Delicious.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, our whole sensory program is just kind of expanding more and more uh, as of late, which is cool, which I've actually been kind of there at the beginning with our whole new sensory team and sensory program, and that goes back to the tastings and stuff like that as well.
2: Nice. So backing up from there, um, tell us a little bit of your history and what got you to being the bar lead at uh, Watershed.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting Little path because I always told myself I would never work in restaurants. <laughs> literally growing up, I said, I'll never work in a restaurant. Because uh, you come
2: from a restaurant family.
1: I come from a little bit of restaurant families. I come from hospitality people, salesmen. My dad was a car salesman. So I've always had that hospitality side to me. But I always thought working in a restaurant is so demeaning. I literally thought that as a you know, 13, 12-year-old, 14-year-old kid. And boy, was I wrong because as soon as I got into restaurants, I was hooked. Um, so I spent most of my early, uh, high school career working at a private golf club, a heritage golf club over in Hilliard and mostly worked in the golf department. So I got kind of like a nice introduction into hospitality and, and dealing with customers and things like that. And then kind of progressed through that. And then in the winter times, I would help them out in their banquet side. So I got a little taste for banquet serving and things like that. Uh, flash forward to about, I was 19 or 20. I started working at Moretti's in Arlington. And then when I was 21, I first started bartending. That was my first gig. I was at Marais in Arlington. I learned a very monotonous and kind of cumbersome way of bartending. It was not measuring things out. It was free pouring and by a count, mm-hmm. which is crazy because yeah. everyone has a different count. So my bartender <laughs> was saying, oh, uh, vodka martini, you do a three count on your vodka and a one count on that. I'm like, all right. I didn't know any better at that point. And different time. things have different viscosity. Too. Exactly. And different pours act differently in the bottles. Yep. And so that was, I didn't know any better. And I, you know, I learned a lot. Uh, and then at that point in time, I was going through college. So I went to Ohio State uh, during that time. And I would work at the golf course in the summertime and I would work at the restaurant in the wintertime. And I just kind of did that for a handful of years. Uh, and then when I was about 20, I graduated college. I was a little late to the game. I graduated. I was about 25. And after college, I went into sales. I got out of the hospitality industry. I got into sales. And I absolutely hated it. I had nothing to do with my degree. Uh, I think a lot of us, when we get out of college, we kind of just sacrifice and just jump into something that has nothing to do with what we're passionate about. My degree being sport management. Uh, so I got into this uh, sales position, absolutely loathed it and hated it and got out within a few months. Hmm. Uh, went back to bartending, picked up some more shifts. And around that time, the owner of Moretti's, Tim Moretti, decided he wanted to open up a new concept, which was Palet by Moretti, which you guys have, you know, have been over before. Uh and so, about that time, I was really getting into bartending more. And this was, uh, you know, less than 10 years ago. But the 10-year mark is when the boom of the cocktails were really picking up. Mm-hmm. So, when I was 21, I was fortunate enough to kind of see that build up over the progression of four years, five years. So, flash forward to 25, 26, I got a chance to go and potentially open this up with uh, an owner. So, I had to work on my game. I had to figure out, okay, I need to up my game. And I need to learn more about this. So, I had an opportunity to go to Curio. And that was where I really was a fly on the wall. I was a barback or apprentice or however you wanna kind of look at it. It wasn't bartending. I was making a few drinks here and there, but I was like a deer in headlights in there. And I, the fact that I had that opportunity was amazing. Uh, big uh, shout out to Rebecca Monday for that. Uh, that was a, like our main connection. One of my best friends is best Thanks. friends with her before I even met Rebecca. Awesome. So that was really cool. Uh, so got to Curio, was a fly on the wall. And what I would do was I would learn at Curio and then I would leave and go to Moretti's the other day and bartend and I would experiment while I'm there. So everything I would watch and learn, I would then go to a bar where I had a little bit of freedom and some downtime and I got to the chance to have some, to run with it. Uh, then a few years later, uh, Palais opened up. I left all those and went to be the GM and beverage director at Palais by Moretti. Uh, so that's when I first got a, my, my dipping my toes in the kind of managerial and actually running a program and setting it up from scratch and setting up a bar, which was really a huge learning curve. Um, but I embraced it. I, I loved it. I love the energy. I love the organization. I have a little bit of OCD. So the fact that I can be meticulous and build something out from, from the ground up was insane. Uh, all around and in, in between those years, too, when Service Bar opened up, I uh, went and helped them open up that, too. So when I was at Palais, mm-hmm. I'd be at Service Bar like one day a week, just helping them out a little bit. So I kind of got in, dipped my toe back into more of the distillery side. And then in 2018, I had an opportunity to go to Watershed and it just, it popped up. Friends of friends, they reach out and I had a meeting with Josh, our beverage director. We had coffee. Uh, we thought it'd be a good fit. And I decided to step back. At that point in time, I didn't want to manage. That was my biggest thing. I didn't want to, I wanted to take a step back. I just wanted to bartend. Managing is so stressful. It's really rewarding, but it's really, really stressful. And I just need to take a break. And so luckily I could go to Watershed and I just started out as a bartender there and it was great. And I loved it. Um, In that same year that I joined over there, I also picked up at Commune, the vegetarian restaurant Mm -hmm. uh, in Columbus. So I was there. I'm there one day a week and then watershed the rest. And so that's kind of how the progression has gone. I've been working my butt off over there. And I think everyone takes notice of that. And they kind of let me do this or wear another hat and kind of just keep working with the team. And it's been fun. It's been really a fun trip, I guess, to see how it's progressed.
0: So um, it's interesting that you have – you reformed Moretti's – Bar menu. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the old school restaurants like that are going to find that that's going to be necessary for them to do in this city because we're so spoiled. Mm -hmm. We want a good cocktail wherever we go. In the old school restaurants, I'm sorry, no offense to them. They have great food, but man. Like you said, they free pour. They don't make good cocktails. Yeah,
1: and even the wine list can get overlooked sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can go to a really, you know, old school Italian restaurant. Okay, I'm fine if the cocktails aren't that good, but if the wine list doesn't make sense either, I'm like, what am I? I'll just get takeout then at that point, yeah. and I'll do something else. So I think you're going to see that, and I think now that a lot of bars have experience with um, doing cocktails to go or batching cocktails and mm-hmm. stuff like that, mm-hmm. that maybe they wouldn't think before. I think that'll help the industry a little bit too. So yeah. now if you're a place and you're worried about a, you know, a 10 minute cocktail, well, now you have the chops. Now you've blended things together. You've batched things. So now no bar has an excuse anymore. I think to really be slow, you know, there's ways to kind of get around. I hopefully everyone's learned from that at this point, yeah. but hopefully, okay. hopefully we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how this year plays out honestly with the people that are still left, you know, oh, who's, yeah. who's going to be yeah. left in the industry. Um, how, how is that going to affect training and, staffing up and things like that. I'm a little scared about that, but those that have stuck it out, hopefully we as a team or as a community can become leaders and show people how it's done Mm -hmm. and the right way to do things.
0: I think that would be great. So um, our cocktail convention, which we had to cancel it this year because of the virus, but Mm -hmm. the first and only one that we've done so far, um, it culminated in a competition um, where the, in our world, the cocktail is always the star of the show, but we had a a bartender making a cocktail and a chef had to make an amuse bouche to mm-hmm. pair with it. Yeah. So it sounds like that's what Watershed does every day of the week, pretty much.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, at Watershed on the food side, we always have our chef's tasting menu, which I think is one of the best deals in the city. And if you pick certain things out, you can get so much food. I think it's 45 or 50 bucks is what it came up to be. You get um, a starter, a, a middle course, uh, a main course, and then a dessert. Um, so you're always getting kind of like a paired cocktail. Like, you know, we were talking before the podcast about Chapman's and Mm -hmm. other places that are doing these kind of coursing menus. We've been doing it for a while now, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can't, I've, I've had it where I've had regulars that come in and they, can you try to pair this cocktail with this food? I mean, we all know it's really, I think obviously to me, wine is still the, the primo of pairing with food, but there are ways to do it with cocktails and you have to be very kind of delicate and precise. Uh, with that. And usually, if there's a cool ingredient that they brought into the kitchen, we're trying to find a way to use it in our cocktails, anyways. Mm-hmm. So, you'll find something that will pair with that, which is really fun, I would say.
0: That's so fun. I yeah, love it. That is it. cool. I think Dude. this might be a good time for us to take a break and make a cocktail. Yeah. What do you think? What yeah. are you going to make for us?
1: So, it's a really fun cocktail. It's something I've been sipping on a lot during uh, this pandemic. It's uh, something I call the Nordic Martini. Uh, it's a Aquavit based cocktail I've been geeking out about Aquavit For a long time now And I'm so happy there's finally one in Ohio uh, So it'll use a base of that um, Basically it's going to be like a really just traditional martini But with some kind of bits and pieces there That'll make it a little bit elegant or different With some salt and some orange bitters And different kind of vermouth with sherry and all that kind
0: of stuff I can't wait
1: Awesome, and then you can tell us more about Aquavit Yeah, cool Alright, all right. let's take a, cocktail. a break
2: And we are back with Tommy and his Nordic martini. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers guys. Cheers.
0: Oh, that's tasty. So tell us how you built this.
1: So this is a pretty traditional um, like martini build, Manhattan build. My ratio I typically use is two to one. So two ounces of your spirit to one ounce of your vermouth or sherry or modifier, basically. Um, this also has a little bit of salt in there. So the way I build it is starting from the ground up, a little bit of salt in the actual mixing glass itself first. Uh, after that, uh, some dashes of orange bitter, about two to four, depending on your dash or top um, situation. Um, an ounce of Lestal Blanc Vermouth. Uh, vermouth, and it's spelled V-E-R-M-U-T, not like Vermouth. It's a hybrid of sherry and vermouth together. Um, mm-hmm. Lestal is known for all their sherries and things like that. Um, so they've gotten to the Vermouth game a little bit. So an ounce of that, and then two ounces of... Uh, Nord and Aquavit. Um, Aquavit is a spirit that I have fallen in love with over the past couple of years or so. Um, it's traditionally a Scandinavian spirit. Um, the leg- legality behind it has to have either dill um, or caraway or both in there basically for it to be called Aquavit. Whereas gin has to have juniper, this least to have those two. A lot of times in Aquavit, you will see juniper. In um, this one specifically, there is caraway, clementine, sumac, oris root and sage, um, star niece angelica juniper dill and coriander oh, yeah. so quite a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. in here but anybody that's a gin drinker tends to really enjoy this anytime i pour it for them i right?
0: loved it i had never had it before and we tasted it um just neat and mm-hmm. it was amazing it was that's what i thought of was uh, it, it tastes like a really good gin to me
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah and there's actually a barrel aged one out in columbus right now too um, so a little quick story, uh, back in 2018, when I joined up, I believe it was in 2019 when, um, we went up there, went up to Michigan, this guy named Robin Cleveland, he's an aquavit maker. He does what's called gypsy distilling and gypsy distilling is, let's say you're want to start up a distillery or a company with a spirit. Well, you obviously don't have the money to go out and spend on fermenters and stills and all these kind of things. So you can rent space. So he uses a lot of space out of Detroit distilling company up in Detroit. So the bar team, the watershed bar team, we were messing around with aqua. We actually made our own in-house too. We took our four peel gin and made our own kind of aqua beat. We're like, let's go see what's going on up there. So we went up there, met him. And it's been a match made in heaven ever since between his product and our product and our relationship so we actually kind of helped make the partnership with cavalier distributing to get him down into columbus with his product so for the release party we actually held a scandinavian um, themed dinner at uh, watershed um, showing a lot of his product and stuff. So typically you wouldn't see that in, just in a distillery. And that's, that's, that's competition. But we looked at it as like kind of a communal thing. Mm-hmm. It's a product that we don't make. It's a company that we respect. And it's a flavor that we can stand behind. Mm-hmm. So um, this is made in Detroit. It's made in Detroit.
2: Rather than it's not made in Norway, or correct? Yeah, there's no no tie except for the product.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it just follows the template of what you have to follow to be called an aquavit, basically. And in Ohio, we had an, we That's had one a long time ago, and it went away uh, for years. So this is the first one time we've had aquavit in the state in probably five years, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. maybe more than that. So it's uh, it's delicious. It's something that it's universal and versatile. I think in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think gin, you do, and I think you can maybe get some vodka drinkers onto it. It'd be interesting to see how they take this versus like a juniper bomb. Because this isn't a juniper bomb. It's that no. Angelica. It's that caraway and dill and all that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. So I'd be kind of, like, kind of curious to see. Yeah, it's
2: a completely different set of herbals. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and with this cocktail, adding salt to it, I thought it was just kind of like a fun, savory mm-hmm. way to, to introduce that. I, and I was kind of talking to you guys off, off camera about, but I don't like salted rims on cocktails. I don't like the graininess. I'd much rather have it in the cocktail dissolved in it so you can actually taste a little bit of it, but don't overpower it obviously, too, as well. Yeah. Well, and just
0: like in cooking, right? Salt Mm -hmm. brings out the flavors. Exactly. And it definitely is working on this cocktail.
1: Yeah, and the lemon peel, obviously lemon and salt go great together when you are cooking, and so that's where that kind of goes. And that's where a lot of my inspiration does come from with cocktails, too. It's the culinary side. Uh, And how can I make these flavors that I love eating make sense in liquid form? And it's tricky, but... Luckily, having good spirits and good you know, simplicity around it, it's kind of helps out. Though.
0: So what made you use the Lestau Vermouth as opposed to using just like a dry vermouth?
1: So I like the salinity you get from sherries typically. What's so, that mean? So you kind of get like a saltiness to a lot of sherrys out there or a nuttiness. You tend to get that in a Pedro Jimenez or an Oloroso sherry. There's like this kind of like almost like olive briny kind of flavor to some of them sometimes in a back mm-hmm. burner. So because of that, I thought it would play well with these ingredients with mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, it's really good just to drink on soda and that. So the, the Lestal Blanc Vermouth with a little bit of soda water, it's super light and refreshing. And their sweet vermouth is really tasty too for Manhattans and things like that. So I do love the like Carpana and there's some other really good vermouths out there. But I just like that little tweak of an element just to make it a little bit different.
0: It's um, really good. So yeah. one of my favorite cocktails is a, um, a Dirty Martini or a Gibson. Mm-hmm. And this kind of is like a... So, what Crystal Avi uh, introduced me to was um, she she would put a little bit of the onion juice and a little bit of the olive, olive juice oh, wow. in my martini. And this tasted very similar it to hits that. some of those notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. When I joined up at Watershed, we started using it quite a bit. And one of our cocktails actually that was put together in kind of honor of Miss Annie Williams uh, from Lawbird. Um, she is on there. Uh, I think she contributed the cocktail. I'm pretty sure is how that went, or there was an inspiration by that. Um, but it was a 50 50 martini, and it was really heavy on the salt. So we did a salt water solution with that, and we did a 50 50 split on. Uh, I think it was Gil gin from Watershed, so a lot more floralness and kind of chamomile flavors um, in there, and then it had I think another kind of Blanc Vermouth, but it wasn't this Vermouth. Um, And it worked great. And anybody that came in that wanted a dirty martini, we pushed that onto them. And nine times out of ten, it was perfect for that person. It's
0: very tasty. What Mm -hmm. do you think?
1: I love it. I
2: think it's, uh, like you said, there's a lot of great um, flavors that are coming out that are unexpected. And you, it's still a martini, Mm -hmm. but there's so much more going on that it's, it's so much more complex than just gin and vermouth. Exactly.
1: Yeah. There's, and that's all it takes is just like, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's the same amount of ingredients. It's just a two to one ratio and you just mm. plug things in. I'm huge on, you know, different ratios. I'm, I tell people all the time, like, learn your basic ratios and you can just plug things in and out. And it's just like what I call the Mr. Potato Head effect. You know, it's Mr. Potato Head. If you take out his eyes and put on a different set of eyes, it's still Mr. Potato Head, but it's a little bit different, yeah. basically. And it's the same kind of technique with cocktails, I think, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. as it's well.
0: tasty. what do you think Hans bear i like
2: it because um your other ingredients almost uh, uh, replace like the uh, like an olive uh, juice mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. which, I, like totally brine, right. which i don't love, care for flavoring.
1: yeah because you know a lot of times when you make a dirty martini you have to shake it um because it has olive brine in there mm-hmm. and that's a general rule of thumb because if not it'll be oily and then when you do shake it there is usually a little bit of a different texture different mouthfeel and stuff like that and i'm huge on mouthfeel so if you can uh, if you can get those flavors with a better mouthfeel I say try it, and why not? And I think that's kind of what this is. It's a lot more smooth and silky yeah. mouthfeel. If this would have had olive brine in here, it would have a little bit more of an oily texture and a little bit um, thinner. I would say like a different, weird consistency. It right, mix right. as well.
0: That's so interesting. When you when you create a cocktail, you've got to think about a lot of different components. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's I mean, you you taste with your eyes first, or eyes and nose, depending on how you walked into a room and maybe smelled something first, and you go eyes. And then after that, you have to hit all your senses. And if you have something that tastes really good, but you can't get past that weird texture. Like, for instance, I didn't like mushrooms until two years ago because of texture, and now I can't stop eating them. Mm. You know, it's you get over that texture kind of thing, and you're like, wow, there's some good flavor in there. I think it's the same with cocktails. Like, if it's a weird texture, and it's weird, and you can't mm-hmm. make it drink that, you're not going to want to have a second yeah. one at all, no matter how good that first one was.
0: Right. Yeah,
2: I've had a, uh, a fat-washed cocktail that. However it was done, I don't know, but it had this greasiness to it. Oh yeah. And it was just off putting. the flavor was fine, but the the texture was off.
1: Yeah. And fat washing is very difficult to do when right, it's or, or right. When it's done it's right. When it's done right, it's fantastic. It's super almost thick, but very not like thick like ice cream. It's like just got a great mouthfeel. Yeah. Yep. Um and also depending on what kind of if you do like a different dairy kind of fat wash sure. or a milk punch the difference of dairies that you use. A lot of times where people mess up, I've noticed is you don't get your, if you do like a milk punch, you don't get your milk to the right temperature before you add it. Your citrus is off Mm -hmm. or, um, we've tried to do non-dairy bases. So like oat milk and almond milk and things like that. If you don't have a high fat content, it can also cause some weird textures and flavors to continue as well. Right. That very well could have been something like that too. as well.
0: Something I can never get past is, uh, when people use the uh, chickpea juice, what is oh, that the called? Aquafaba. The aquafaba. aquafaba in mm-hmm. place of egg white. Yeah, I just can't. I can't get past the smell first. Yeah. It just smells mm-hmm. weird to me, and the the texture is is never as silky as egg white. 100%. I mean, it's fine, but yeah. it's just not the same.
1: Yeah, the aquafaba versus egg white smell is interesting, and I always tell people like I compare like this. Aquafaba smells like gravy. And if you, like, ever smell just a jar of it, it's got this, like, weird kind of almost meaty gravy smell flavor to it. Where egg white can sometimes, when it goes kind of off, yeah. it can smell like wet dog. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got to, like, it's this weird kind of which one is it. Mm-hmm. What I found with aquafaba is the shelf life is much better. Um, if you have a restaurant that is using garbanzo beans and something, you can double down and, and save that. Luckily, at Watershed, we make so much aioli. The kitchen takes all the yolks and they give us all the whites. And so we usually have core containers, just egg whites, and we seal them up, pasteurize it like they're good to go for a little while. Um, But over time, if we're not cleaning a lot of our like squeeze bottles, things we do, I just smell it. It smells like wet dog. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) this is terrible. (laughs) So, but I do love a good froth. I tell you who's got some of the best egg white game in the city is bottle shop. They take forever to make their egg white cocktails. I will say that till I'm blue in the face, but the heads that they create on their cocktails are insane. Yeah. Um, So they definitely have some of the better like egg white kind of game, I would say in the city.
0: Well, they're raising their own chickens now.
1: So yeah, yeah, probably. and they're selling them in-house in, in too, which is really cool. i love to see what Barb and Armand are doing over there with that, yeah. which is really fun.
0: It is fun. So tell us more about the sensory stuff that you're doing at Watershed. I find that fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this year has been a little different. I, we kind of slowed down pretty tremendously on that just because of COVID. It's hard to get people into a room together. It's hard to literally taste things in a room together because you have to take masks off and stuff like that. Um, but up until the pandemic hit, I was given a task to kind of build up our sensory program on the distillery. And what sensory means is kind of quality control, um, but also a little bit of experimental too. So let's say we're doing our next batch of bourbon and we're like, okay, we have 20 barrels that we need to go through and make sure these are good for a batch or a blend. So what I'll do typically is I'll get all those samples. I measure them all out. Sometimes I'll proof them down to what they would go into a bottle, uh, which is, you know, the 90 proof, or sometimes I'll leave it at the heat, the, you know, the, the, the barrel strength just to see where it is on that. So I'll get a bunch of samples of those, and then I'll usually send an email to the team, say, hey, um, we've got some things we're gonna batch, let's all get together, and let's uh, figure out if these bourbons are good. And what I'll typically do is I'll take a little sample of all 20 of them into one separate one, and usually right off of that we can tell if something's off. If we're like, we taste it, we smell it, like something's not right, then we have to go through each barrel and smell and taste, and see if something is off. I've gotten to the point now where I can kind of smell the difference if something's off, and I don't even need to necessarily taste it, but it obviously helps to, to taste. There was a moment there where we kept getting like this earthy beet flavor out of some of our barrels. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know if it was the grain or the barrel, we weren't sure. So we just, every time we had that, we would keep those barrels off to the side, let them age a little bit longer and see if they change or do something different with them or finish them in a different barrel or something along those lines. Um, so we're doing a lot of that. Um, we're going to different places like Crimson Cup and Wolf's Ridge to see kind of like their, their setup for sensory and how they go about it. Um, so it's been fun. It's been a way to get more of the staff involved on the distillery side. So our team is put together of restaurant people, sales team, marketing, um, production, uh, all that kind of stuff. So we have a little bit of everybody's influence on that, which has been really cool to collaborate. And everybody has a different, you know, flavor profile when they taste things. So just because I think it tastes good, you might think it tastes like crap. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, the um, when you guys came to the single barrel uh, dinner that we did, there were my favorite didn't get picked. But I think one of your guys' favorite did get picked, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. In that single barrel. So it's different to see, you know, the different perspectives
0: on that. One, I wanted him to blend two of them.
1: mm -hmm, Yeah. The two of those barrels might still be sitting somewhere
2: and um, ours may have been picked because we're very influential
1: and, something like that and we <laughs> yeah or we there's a 20 enticed, bill you slipped to me i think
2: we enticed people
1: to <laughs> pick the one that we liked yeah there was a lot of political <laughs> movements going on i think that night to say hey you should pick this one uh, we had you know we had jim canepa there the you know head yep. of liquor board and stuff like that and I love seeing his his like giddiness that when he goes to these things because he loves bourbon. Yeah. So it's funny to see him kind of being political and talking to people like, oh, what are you guys picking? What are you guys picking and stuff? So it's kind
0: of cool. So our in our sister podcast, Women in Whiskey, um, we had a guest, Liz Rhodes, on. She's a, a whiskey scientist, and mm-hmm. she was telling me about the bunny sniff. Yeah. So I'd never heard that before. You just take quick, yep. short sniffs, and you can usually tell a yeah. defect from that.
1: And the other thing too, is, and she might talk about this, is when you go to smell something right off the bat, don't stick your nose right into it because mm-hmm. of the ethanol. The smell of all that yeah. alcohol will just burn your nose. Mm-hmm. So typically you want to start up high, kind of work your way until you can't right. take the alcohol smell. And The other thing is too, is a lot of times when people taste or smell, they don't have their mouth open.
2: Yeah.
1: When you smell things, like these are all things i learned during this whole sensor is really cool. You smell better when your mouth is yep. open. Yeah. Um, it adds a whole nother sensory level to that sure. too, which is really cool.
0: Yeah well distributes the alcohol too
1: yeah 100 percent. that's so cool yeah it's been fun and i can't wait to like i said we kind of i've taken a hiatus from it i'm obviously not on the payroll right now so i can't really necessarily be there doing those things um at the moment but i'm excited to get that back up and running and i think there's talk to kind of be expanding it and stuff and i'd love to eventually get to the point where we can invite bar teams over and do sensory with them and do some more samplings and tastings and i mean we always can do tastings and stuff we always do our um, when we do the tours and stuff but it'd be cool to be a little bit more intimate with our community and try to get bartenders more involved and in in that kind of aspect i think again when you tie something back to a memory or an instance it helps the brand it helps uh, Mm -hmm. their creativity and their knowledge on products and stuff like that and they feel more invested when they come up with a cocktail using that product or whatever sure cool sure yeah
0: so fun
2: so tell us some bar stories
1: hmm man so I don't have a ton. I, and the main reason is because I kind of dodged all the crazy campus bartending days and short North bartending days. So I missed a little bit of that kind of like wildness you get from there. Um, but still some just interesting stuff. Um, one time I was running Palais. Um, it was late at night. We were about to shut down. Like nothing was going on. I think there was an Ohio state game going on that afternoon. And every once in a while we would get crazies coming in because where Palais was located on fifth Avenue is close enough to like, um, the Lenox, Lennox parking lot Where a lot of people Will park their cars And walk to the game And stuff like that So we every mm-hmm. once in a while Get some people walking around Acting like idiots So I remember one night This guy comes in And it's just a typical Drunk guy Not making any sense All this kind of stuff He's so messed up though That he sits down We're trying to get him out of there And he's not leaving And he gets, the, he gets his girlfriend On the phone And she basically Gets on the phone with me And she's like Give me the whole story. Like she's gonna dump him. She's breaking up with him. She's leaving him. She's <laughs> oh, doing all these geez. kind of stuff. I'm like, lady, I don't care. I just want them <laughs> out of here. And it got to the point where he was so drunk that he's like, I'm gonna throw up. I was like, No, you're not. Like it got to that bad. And I just happened to have like a bucket behind the thing. Right. I gave it to him, and sure enough, he just all over. And this was like in, in a restaurant. We had people eating dinner. It wasn't like we were, yeah. you know. Pali was never like a club bar and Right. Like that. Um, but she came picked him up. And she actually gave me her phone number at the end. Oh. She's like, because she said she was leaving them. And I was like, oh, my God. this. Is, we just both these like, leave? Um, so that's kind of funny. One of my favorite moments actually happened at Watershed, and it was more reflected on me. Um, it was my 30th birthday. And my mom got me a Marilyn Monroe birthday gram. So basically, like, came and sang and danced while I was working at Watershed. so funny. So busy funny. Friday night or Saturday night or something like that. I'm sitting there my mom said, oh, I'm going to come in and save some seats at the bar. So her, her husband, <laughs> and I think my aunt come in They sit in the corner. And they hadn't been in since I started working there. And I'm like, this is really weird, but whatever. And also we had a packed bar. I had, you know, Orson from Basso and Rebecca. A bunch of people were there. A whole packed place. So all of a sudden, I see this lady walk in. I'm like, what is going on? Who is this? And so this girl looks like Marilyn Monroe. And she goes around the bar. She comes behind the bar and I'm in the middle of making cocktails and stuff like that. I'm like, who's coming behind my bar right now? I'm gonna like, freak out. <laughs> and she like points me, up, taps me on the shoulder and she's like, are you Tommy? I was like, I, yeah, I am. And she's like, well, I'm here, I heard it was your birthday and I got a little something special to say. So literally my GM goes, kills all the music, everything in the bar and the restaurant stops. People that were eating just stopped. Everything's just like on all eyes. So uh, she's like, anybody got a chair? And within seconds, my GM's like, I got a chair throws it behind the bar and I sit down and Marilyn sits right on my lap and starts singing like happy birthday and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) I was mortified. My face was so red. I was just like, oh my God, my 30th. My mom's just cracking up in the corner there. uh, I don't know your mom, but I love her. Oh my God. It was the it was so hilarious. And my and Josh Gandy, our beverage director, was laughing so much like cackling he he had to leave the room where he was i heard him in the corner he was just (laughs) losing it that's awesome. so that was like kind of a a fun little memory kind of more directed back at me and stuff like that um so yeah i mean luckily you know i haven't i haven't delved too far into like crazy weird stories most of my stories come actually from the golf course i worked at um granted we had food and beverage and stuff like that and i remember (laughs) one day uh, I show up at the golf course. I think I had been working the food and beverage the night before tonight. There was like a wedding or something like that. Um, and I show up and I look out and it's like six, seven o'clock in the morning, cause we had to set up the golf course and I look out and there's a car out on one of the holes. It looks like it's halfway in one of the lakes. I'm like, what the hell happened? Come to find out someone that was at the party the night before that I was thinking was bartending, got into his car and drove onto the golf course with his car and hit a tree. And then his car went into the water.
0: Oh my god! And like the
1: whole front half was just in the water, while the whole back half was out, up on the ledge. And if you could see where the parking lot to the where this hole was, I don't know how he did it. I, to this point, I'm like, he had to have driven through greens, all this kind of stuff. It's like um, caddy shack. Yeah. And then he, he was nowhere to be found. He's left the car. Like, <laughs> and so the next day they're like, "Who is this? What's going on?" And they had to track him down and find out who it was. And it was a member's like brother-in-law or something crazy. Like, sir, that. your car is registered. We can <laughs> find you. Yeah. Yeah. To the golf course ones because those guys just all get wild over there. There's some weird stuff that happens (laughs) over there and stuff like that. But wow,
0: yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy that people get behind the wheel. Take an Uber at this point too. You have no excuse. Yeah,
1: Yeah. at this point, like you really truly don't. If you're in a bad situation or whatever, there's enough people that people can call, get an Uber, like whatever. There's no sense in risking that. I mean, he could have easily drowned, like without even question. I mean, if you're that inebriated that you can't see a lake, how are you going to get out of a car and swim to shore at that right. Um uh, So yeah, kind of crazy stuff with that.
0: Yeah. I wonder what was going through his head when he was driving along. No street lights.
1: Yeah. and There's nothing on the golf course light letting it up. Like, where does he think he's going? Oh, this road's really hilly. Yeah. He must have, because there was a little cut through for the neighborhood to get into the neighborhood from the golf course. So he might have thought that he was on that path, but he was way far from the gate that gets you through there, basically, on that.
0: Maybe really... he forgot the golf game was over and he thought he was in his cart, <laughs> Right? Maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah, That's awesome. it's, it's some crazy stories. One of my favorite stories, though, and it's not even something that was crazy, but kind of going back to Curio, just because of the moment of that night and how it all felt, and it was the weekend that they shut down for good, uh, as far as, like, Travis stepping away and all that kind of stuff. And that was the coolest industry little get-together party celebration crying like moment that I've seen in this industry in a long time and it was really kind of uh humbling in a lot of ways and so for those who don't know I mean Curio Travis Owens was the head of Curio and ran that and then that's how I got my start that's how me and Lindsay from Citizens Trust and Rebecca Monday and Ben Greist and Annie Williams and just so many awesome bartenders have come through there and gone on to do amazing things and Travis was like a grandfather to us you know, you know, we're right on the corner from M right here. And I would say Crystal Obby's the grandmother cocktails where Travis was the grandfather of cocktails. And so I just remember that They're night.
0: They're not that old. So let's say aunt and That's
1: fair. Mother <laughs> and father. <laughs> aunt and uncle. Yeah, mom and dad. Cool. Uh, but in general, they, just, they had such a staple on, on what was going on in the city and a heartbeat on what was going on in building that. And so that first, that weekend, that everything shut down over there. I was there both nights. And I remember the, la- the Friday night, I think, every bartender past and present bar back that worked there ended up staying behind. Everybody else got kicked out and we just like sat around and cleaned the bar together. Like as a team. like, I mean, I hadn't worked there in years, nobody else, but we all chipped in, we swept, we mopped. Like it was something that was like something so familiar to us. It felt like we were helping the family out. Um, and to this day, like I just remember a couple of things that Travis shared with me and, and said, he was proud of me and like the, 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 where I was going, he's like, we'll work together again soon and, and all that kind of stuff. And since then it's awesome to see where everybody has kind of ended up in the city. And I think mm-hmm. everyone that has worked there is really—they're leaders in the city, and they're doing great things. And absolutely, that's the night that I'll remember forever. And that's something when I joined up with Watershed. When Josh Candy and I had a, a coffee talk about it, he was like, "You know, with Curio no longer here, there's a void in the city." He's like, "We'll fill that void." Like, our goal was for Watershed to fill that void. I know Annie probably had that same feeling when they opened up Lobberd. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Ben's got that same mentality when he's. At or at uh, Veritas and Lindsay's up in Citizens Trust, it's like we all understand there's that void and it's our job as leaders to fill that void and keep it going, especially going into you know, twenty twenty one out of a pandemic and stuff. It's gonna take a uphill battle, but I think I think we're all ready for it for sure. Yeah. Well, we definitely
2: have the right people and talented people in the city who can keep that momentum going. Yeah. So,
0: you know, I think uh what you were saying about how everybody just like grabbed a mop and started cleaning up that's a bartender trait. Mm-hmm. um we've seen that we um in our I'm not really a bartender cocktail competitions when it's over, all the mentors, mm-hmm. professional bartenders, they all start cleaning up, yeah like n- nobody asked them, nobody expected them to do that at all. It's just yeah. second nature, and Nate Howe was telling us. They had an event at Rye River Social Mm -hmm. and it was for bartenders, it was a USBG event. And when it was over, All the bartenders started cleaning up and the GM was like, What are they doing? Don't let them do this. And he's like, What am I gonna do? Like they're bartenders, you can't stop them from cleaning up.
1: It's Mm -hmm. definitely embedded in us. I mean, it's I mean, you know, after I made these cocktails, it took everything from my part not to start cleaning everything right away (laughs) and just like putting everything away. It's just and I you know, I I handle that when I cook too, and I think that's a chef thing too. It's like you Mm -hmm. clean up as you go Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But it's also like I think everybody when they go into a bar and restaurant need to treat it like you're going to someone's house. At the end of the day, it's it's someone's house, they're there to take care of you but you need to show respect back. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, that's lost on a lot of people that go into restaurants. It's, you know, they don't understand what it takes to make that food or prep that food or make those cocktails. And I think hopefully coming out of a pandemic where a lot of people were cooking at home and making cocktails at home, they're gonna have a more respect understanding of what it takes. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen a lot of people that are at home bartenders and they're doing some really cool stuff. I'm like, that's awesome. Like. I, you know we have all you know us bartenders we're like oh we've been doing this for a long time but it's awesome to see people seeing it mm-hmm. so hopefully that transpires into people going out to restaurants come 2021 i don't have a ton of faith in that but i hope it you know even if five percent of people are that much more appreciative i think you're going to see that help out a lot like yeah. tremendously and there's been a pretty good you know camaraderie around getting people getting carry out and tipping heavily and taking care of people and stuff and i just hope that kind of continues to be really sad if it doesn't, but I, I have faith that this city, if someone's going to do it, the city, I think, has the capability of doing it.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree. agree. And I've said it before. Um, I think this is a perfect time to reset everything mm-hmm. and start paying bartenders and staff more yeah. and charging more for drinks and food. Yeah. It's a perfect... I mean, because you're right, people are going to come out of this pandemic. We're going to be... We can't wait to get the restaurants and bars again, mm-hmm. and we are not going to give a shit if we're paying five more dollars it, for it. And it's right.
2: not about... Overcharging. It's about charging the appropriate amount right. so that yeah. the restaurants can make a decent profit.
0: right Absolutely, because you're definitely undercharging now.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely, and especially in this city. When you go to New York, if we had a place like Watershed in New York, our chef's tasting menu would go from forty-five to a hundred dollars without even mm-hmm. blinking an eye, or yeah. probably you know, higher, and probably even higher. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So it'll, you know, my biggest thing coming out of this is I would love. I don't know how this would happen. I would love to see some form of health insurance for hospitality professionals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally Something doable. focused on that. Mm-hmm. Because yep. it's unfortunate unless you work for like a hotel group like Basso, they offer health insurance or something like that. Most restaurants don't. Mm-hmm. And the restaurants can't necessarily afford it. But it would be awesome to see if there was like a the uh, restaurant industry group could come yeah. together as a collective and figure out how to get affordable health insurance to that staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, nice to have the higher hourly and all that kind of stuff or those things. But I think health insurance is probably the most, the biggest thing because most people still make enough money in tips and do a pretty good job on that, um, but yeah, I mean, even if like someone paid for half my health insurance, mm-hmm. it would be amazing, right? You know, at this point.
2: And this year this has year. kind of shown everyone, yeah, that that is completely missing in our society, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And it's you know it's unfortunate, like you know, with this whole relief bill and everything that's going through, you're not seeing a lot of direct towards restaurant relief and help through that which, which is, is really stupid which is insane to yeah. me mm-hmm. uh i mean the the hospitality industry the hotel industry the the cruise ship industry the entertainment industry in the united states is such a driving force to not see specific help towards that doesn't make any sense i agree to me. yep and it's been so frustrating as of late to yeah. do that and this is my first year ever having to navigate the unemployment waters and like there wasn't even like that wasn't even set up properly and so so hopefully coming out of this and, and going over the next few months there's a big overhaul a lot of things and you know, we'll see how it goes, but health insurance, come on. It's just, yeah, it's so easy.
0: Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, it should be just a fundamental right mm-hmm. to every person in this country. Absolutely. In my opinion. No,
1: but. absolutely. If you work 40 hours, like, let's say you work a full-time job, hundred percent. Like if you work 35 to 48 hours a week, I think that qualifies as like, you're doing your dues. You're working as what you can. And we should have some kind of compensation as far as health yeah. insurance, especially yeah. coming out of a pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. The amount of people that can't even go and get a normal checkup to make sure. I mean, you can go get a COVID test for free, but if you just want to go get, make sure you're okay with the flu, you need health insurance for that. You know, right. it's, it's crazy how that's going
0: yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's unfortunate. And I hope you're right. I hope that things will change. Um, I think they will. Yeah. I
1: think, I think it agree. will. I think it's going to take a collective group to kind of get the ball rolling mm-hmm. um, and stay behind it.
2: Mm -hmm. and stay up on it it. moving yeah Yeah. and i
1: think you know i don't know how the legalities of this goes it's like it's something that i'd almost want to take to the liquor commission board and say hey jim or whoever's like there it's like what can we do as a restaurant coalition with the state to figure this out i think that's where it needs to start i would say for the most part and see if there's like a state funded thing that can be generated on that based on health insurance yeah i think would make the most sense to me um, and I would happily, a, pro, a percentage of my paycheck goes to that. That's fine. Like, I mean, if I had to pay a tax on that, and, but I know that if I'm in this industry, that tax is guaranteeing me health insurance. that's socialism. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. Right. <laughs> I'm
0: all about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I, I could see probably more readily than the liquor control is through the restaurant association. Yeah. If they could, like... By group insurance exactly. for all employees, no matter where you are, yeah. you have the option of buying into that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So
0: here's the, so it's a very complicated system, but in a nutshell, um, if if an employer offers health insurance, they automatically have to pay half your premiums. So that's why mm-hmm. a lot of them don't. That makes sense. And then also, um, it's done by tax ID number. So they would have to change the rules to allow a yeah. group like the Restaurant Association right. to get one blanket policy for every that person sense. that worked at different. Yeah, and it's just a way for the, but, uh, the insurance industry to make more money. That's right. all it is. Absolutely. So they could easily change the. Well, I don't know how easy it is, but I'm sure it's not that. It to easy It sounds easier to us.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> people, nutshell,
0: well, easy. people are going to lose money. That's why they don't want anything to change. So, right. Yeah. But,
1: but yeah, I don't know. we'll, well see. I think going in 2021 <laughs> it will be an interesting uphill battle. I will tell you one thing though, and I think every bartender in the city has the same consensus that once you know they give the go ahead of no masks and social distancing, it's going to be a party. Yeah, a party like no one's ever seen Hell before. Yeah. And restaurants are going to be making money. And will it be enough to make up the losses that everybody felt in 2020? Probably not. But it'll at least help. So now the biggest the biggest hurdle now is I would say the next four or five months. How can the restaurants that are struggling right now get to that mark? Because mm-hmm. in my head, if, if vaccines start to roll out, things start to progress, and things kind of get to that point, hopefully by the beginning of summer, May, June, we're at that party stage, and mm-hmm. we're starting to get to that point. But there's a lot of restaurants that aren't going to make it between now and then. Yeah, right? And that's unfortunate um, with that. So whatever you can do, go and get carryout. Go buy gift cards. Go do whatever you can to like support those businesses that need it. Um, and it's mostly mom and pops and small businesses that need mm-hmm. it more so than the big conglomerates. I, you know, Karen Mitchell's great and they have a bunch of restaurants that's awesome, but some of the other local things, people need some help, that's for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so in, and that's how the Roaring Twenties came about, right, was the mm-hmm. uh, Spanish flu. So we're yeah. gonna have the same resurgence and I hope I hope the restaurants here can hang on just a little bit longer, but I know it's difficult. Yeah.
1: Yeah, luckily, you know, when they passed this relief bill, there was a chance to get some more loans, I think, for the PPPs or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that, that'll help for those that can get it. Hopefully, they've got it so that the right businesses are getting it mm-hmm. this time right? And not right. The, some of the companies that shouldn't have got it, in my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, whether it's you know, my family's restaurant, Moretti's, I hope they maybe can get through it. Commune, where I was working, that's... I really hope that makes it through because that was a place that just opened up a year or so before the pandemic and was doing awesome stuff in the city. Yeah, they really did. They're, you know, we're trying over there to get get through the motions. And right now we have a parable coffee pop up over there right now. And those guys are doing a really good job. And, and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of companies have had to pivot. You've seen what Lawbirds had to do and open up a bodega watershed. Mm -hmm. We started doing sanitizers. So at that point though, you can only pivot so much before you're just in circles, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just putting yourself in circles. So. Hopefully, uh, we'll see how things go for the yeah. next few months. But yeah. I'm optimistic. I'm trying to stay optimistic, and I think anybody that's in it has to stay optimistic. Because if you let yourself go down that path, you're going to put yourself into a depression, and it's unfortunate. Luckily, I felt all my like w- darkness was like right when the pandemic first hit in March, and I've kind of gotten over that since then. Um, and luckily, just kind of been blessed to get through this year without too much damage. You know, that's for sure. Well, I think we are optimistic too.
2: Yeah, very. So. Yeah. I I think it's going to be a good year. I think that things will turn around Mm -hmm. for a lot of these businesses. Yeah. But it's going to take the community.
1: It is. Yeah. And I think it's going to, you know, I'm looking forward to maybe doing a lot more collaboration coming up this year too, because, you know, businesses are going to be struggling. So whatever another business can help another business do, I'm looking forward to doing those things with people uh, going into the next year and stuff. And hopefully, being at watershed we have a lot of ties with other breweries and hopefully we can have maybe collaboration parties or do some industry events together you know we were doing not too sweet there on sundays at, at watershed that was we were kind of an industry-driven sunday night kind of gathering and stuff like that i'd love to get that back up and running and and all that kind of stuff to give the community a sense of like hey we got through this we got through this together let's keep it going together and kind of let that keep spitballing and, and going yeah. forward but
0: yeah. So, Tommy, how can our listeners find you?
1: Yeah. So um, Instagram is what I mostly go through. Uh, and the Instagram handle is T Householder, H-O-U-S-E-H-O-L-D-E-R. Um, I have Facebook, but I've since deleted the app because I don't want to look at it. <laughs> and you. so you can get through me on uh, Facebook Messenger as well. Um, just my name, Tommy Householder. I use am responding to messengers, but not really checking my Facebook right now. I'm trying to detox a little bit off of some social media these days. Same. Um, so, yeah. there. Or if anybody needs to email me any questions, uh, T Householder 15. Um, at gmail.com
0: all right well tommy householder thank you so much for doing our podcast we really appreciate it and thank you for
1: sharing this nordic martini
0: you're very welcome yeah absolutely love it
1: yeah it's uh if anybody has any questions about it feel free to mesh me on instagram or whatever and i can share the recipes with you or anything else so and i really appreciate you guys getting me in the book well well. who knows maybe this will make it to the next book that would be fun too i will have to say a little (laughs) caveat about that cocktail too so Um, when we put that together, that was a Lauren Noel cocktail. So, Lauren, who's with us for a long time at Watershed, she's now at uh, Echo Spirits and also the Market Italian Village running those programs over there, okay, doing some cool stuff. That was one that she collaborated with and came up with. The cool thing about all of our cocktails, uh, with Watershed is we have such a collaboration on all that stuff, which is awesome. You know, she put that on the menu, and then we i helped tweak it, I added this to it or whatever. So, it's it's kind of a fun thing, but I had to do a little shout out to Lauren because I know she said she's going to be listening and I want awesome. to say that an awesome cocktail.
0: It's a delicious, beautiful cocktail.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I appreciate it guys.
0: Thanks again.
2: Absolutely. Cheers. 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 Listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CBus Craft Cocktail Tour, and visit our website at ColumbusCraftCocktailTour.com for cocktail tour dates, women and whiskey tastings, and other events and merchandise. Thanks to our producer, Greg Hansberry, and to the biographer for our original music. Please remember to drink responsibly, tip appropriately, and be cocktail curious. Cheers!
0: This has been a Last Call Productions production.